It's good to be here on this Lord's Day. Good to see each of you. Excited to study God's Word with you now for a little while this morning. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, we're going to begin with the reading in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Him. They asked Him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's exactly what we're going to do for a little while this morning. When Jesus says to beware of something, we need to take special note. You know, I think we can identify with a lot of characters in the Bible. Maybe we want to be identified and associated the most with the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, because even though they were imperfect, even though they had problems, they were heroes of faith. But perhaps the character that we want to be disassociated with the most don't want to be called as the Pharisee, because if the Pharisees were as condemned and rebuked by Jesus as much as anybody. I'd love to see a video or audio of Matthew 23 and some of the verses we're going to read this morning. Jesus brought some heat. He didn't pull any punches. I love the, the exchange when he's saying, woe unto you and woe unto you and woe unto you. And then one man made the mistake of saying, do you insult us too? And he said, if you want some, woe unto you lawyers. They were antagonistic enemies of Jesus. But it's interesting if you study the history of Pharisaism, you'll discover that it developed in an attempt to stay pure to the old paths of Judaism in the face of assimilation during captivity. It was a determined effort to preserve fully the teachings of the Torah. And I think we can admire that. I think we can respect that and appreciate that as people who are committed to restoring New Testament Christianity. But I think it's important that we learn this lesson. We can start with good intentions, seeking to obey God, and end up disobedient enemies of Jesus Christ. Self-centered, self-justified, self-righteous, condemned by Jesus for a lack of compassion, for a love of money, and pride and hypocrisy. And the irony was, those who claimed to know and love God more than anyone else, ultimately murdered his son. And so let's biblically define and examine the doctrine, the influence, the teaching, the leaven of the Pharisees so that we can be aware of it, so that we can guard against it as Jesus admonishes us and commands us to do. The word Pharisee or, or one of its derivatives is found approximately 93 times in the New Testament. In the four Gospels, the book of Acts, the book of Philippians. And so when we consider the frequency and severity of the rebukes of Jesus, the quantity and quality of His condemnations, it's certainly worthy of our time and attention. 
And so we're going to look at three fundamental qualities that characterize the Pharisees according to Jesus. Number one, perhaps the quality that we think of first, that we think of most, the charge Jesus made against the Pharisees that's maybe best remembered is the charge of hypocrisy. They knew the Word of God, they didn't live it. Luke 12, verse 1, Jesus said, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They preached it, they didn't practice it. They were hearers, not doers, James chapter 1. They literally wore the Bible. They made broad their phylacteries. They enlarged the hymns, the borders of their garments. Jesus said, do what they say, not what they do. Matthew 23, verse 3, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. The word hypocrite literally means an actor, a pretender, pretentious. Pretending to be something externally that we aren't internally. And notice that a person can be sincere and zealous and devoted and committed in their convictions and still be classified by Jesus as a hypocrite. They were hypocrites because they held at all costs and defended distorted perspectives and perverted priorities. The Pharisees could stress the Ten Commandments and then break them for religious reasons. For religious reason, they could get around the command to honor your father and your mother. The Pharisees endorsed, thou shalt not murder, and they murdered the only perfect person who ever lived. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, and they accepted the greatest injustice and mistrial in human history. And if Jesus were to visit the church today, He would find many zealous, committed people that He would declare hypocrites who are zealously defending at all costs distorted values and perverted perspectives. Thou shalt not murder while we bite and devour one another. Thou shalt not fornicate while we lust in our hearts. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not steal while we covet the things of others and love money. You ever claim to be something externally that you weren't internally and you knew it? Projected something externally that you're not internally? What's really happening on the inside? Who are we on the inside? Who am I behind the masquerade when the mask is removed? Are we real? Are we genuine? Are we authentic? Maybe we have a lot of friends and relationships on social media, but nobody knows who we really are. And it reminds me of the Brad Paisley song from a few years ago, I'm so much cooler online. Hashtag best husband ever. Hashtag, my kids are better than your kids. Is that what we're projecting? Are we like the Pharisees? We want everyone to know that we're clean externally. We would never eat with unwashed hands, and yet we're living with an unwashed heart. Inside, we're rotten. Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. That's what He told them. It's maybe a concept we're not as familiar with today, but think about that. White and pure on the outside, looks clean on the outside, and inside you're full of dead men's bones. Death and decay. Maybe the object we think about, very similar to the point Jesus made there, is a toilet. It's porcelain on the outside that's white and clean. We know exactly what's happening on the inside. Think about a diaper. We finally are getting out of those at our house. But you think about a diaper, and there's this child so pure and innocent. And we know exactly what they do inside that diaper. Inside you stink. It's like you're like this cup that's washed on the outside, but 
inside your sour milk. You might be a Pharisee, as Jeff Foxworthy would say. You might be a Pharisee if you work more at looking good than actually being good and actually doing good. Romans 2, Paul writes, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. And he says in verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You can look like it on Sunday and not live like it on Monday. Maybe you party on Saturday night and you hope nobody posts anything on social media, but we make sure we post on Sunday that we're at church. We sing, Jesus, all the world to me. Where He leads, I'll follow. All to Jesus, I surrender. And there's no evidence of that Monday through Saturday. Christianity is who we are and what we actually do. Every day, not that we're perfect, what we're striving to be and what we're striving to do every day at home, at work, at church, in the dark, behind closed doors, on the internet, And you can come to church looking like a Christian on Sunday and go home and not live like one. Think about our assemblies, roughly three hours a week, three out of 168. What are we doing the other 165 hours? What are we doing when we leave this place? Maybe we go out to eat. That's what we often do. We go out to eat and we treat the waitress like dirt. We're rude because maybe we kept the rules and we went to church and they didn't, so we're justified. Reminded of the story of a man who was pulled over and he asked the police officer, he said, was I speeding? No. Did I, break, did I have any traffic violations? No. Then why'd you pull me over? He said, when I heard you honking your horn and shaking your fist and your finger at other people and I saw your honk for Jesus bumper sticker, I assumed this car was stolen. You ever been to a church that didn't need air conditioning? I mean, it was so cold. They hated each other. They hated the members. They hated the visitors. They won't talk to each other. They won't sit by each other, but they'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. And we proclaim the kingdom as our pearl of great price. It's the most important thing in our life. (laughs) Our mission is souls, right? Where's the evidence? Reminded of another story. A man was was doing a study with some some young boys, and he he asked them, why do people call me a Christian? And one boy answered, because they don't know you. Are we living a different message than we're actually teaching? We know it's easier to talk the talk than it is to walk the walk. Theory is easier than practice. It's a lot easier to know the Bible than to actually live the Bible. The Pharisees knew the Word of God. They didn't live it. Next, they made the Word of God of none effect. They they voided the Word of God by elevating traditions over truth. Think about so many examples where they accused Jesus. You don't keep the tradition of the elders. You're eating with unwashed hands. Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And Jesus answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold fast, hold the tradition of men. He says, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. It got around honoring their father and mother in that way. We mentioned that earlier. Verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. 
the Pharisees held the oral law, the scribes, that was uninspired, as equally valid and equally authoritative to the written Word of God. Where the Torah was silent on things like what constituted work on the Sabbath day or uncleanness, the oral law would step in and establish tradition. And the goal was to build a protective barrier to build a fence, a hedge around the Word of God. And we can appreciate that. We can admire that. But as often is the case, the intent and the effect can be in direct opposition. And one of Jesus' objections to the Pharisees' application of their tradition was that it, the effect that it had, the consequence that it had, it laid aside the actual written, inspired Word of God. They made it to where doing good on the Sabbath was prohibited. And that's a problem. Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And maybe we get so caught up in things that aren't actually commandments, that are matters of liberty or judgment or our agenda or our opinions, that we lose sight of and we neglect the two greatest commands, to love God with all of our being and love our neighbor as ourselves. As a church, maybe we get so caught up with turning on the air conditioning and having services, and I appreciate whoever's doing that. God bless you. But we don't actually go out. Our mission is to go, serve, give, evangelize. And we can lose sight of our fundamental Christian ethos and pathos and logos, our core principles, our spirit. We lose heart. Purity, righteousness, holiness, agape love, mercy, justice, grace, forgiveness. And what can happen to us is we preach doctrine while neglecting morality. While we aren't pure and holy and loving. Our children can argue with their classmates about doctrine. I could do that in high school. Argue New Testament Christianity. But can we show it to them? Haven't taught them maybe to teach the truth and love and gentleness and respect and courtesy. Humility and meekness. We haven't taught them to sit with the kid that nobody will sit with at lunch in the cafeteria. What is a prophet? If we don't teach them that, what is a prophet? If our righteousness and our faith doesn't hinge on that, maybe it's not righteousness or faithfulness at all. The Pharisees wept at a failure to tithe spices and condiments. And nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus said, these you ought to have done, you should do that without neglecting the others, without missing the point. Then they'd shout themselves hoarse, crucify Him, crucify Him. Matthew 23, verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense... Make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. When he is made, you made him twofold more of the child of hell than yourselves. Think about the Pharisees. They prayed often, long. They studied. They evangelized. They had a zeal that sometimes puts me to shame. Would you travel across the world to convert one person? 
But we see in spite of that zeal, in spite of that commitment and devotion, they had a corrupting influence. They defiled other people through their influence. Maybe we defile others through our lack of zeal, our lack of commitment. Maybe it's our misplaced priorities that have a contaminating effect on our children and those around us. Maybe it's our bad attitude at work, at school, at church, in the home. Maybe it's our immorality. Maybe it's our immodesty. Maybe it's our hypocrisy that turns people off from entering the kingdom. Maybe it's our lack of knowledge. We're not prepared to give an answer. And our ignorance of God's Word blocks people from entering. Turns us into a false prophet. Reminded of the, the verse when Jesus said, it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck than for you to offend one of these little ones. It would have been better for that man to have never been born. You see, the Pharisees, they taught the rules, which they had perverted and misapplied. It emphasized the importance. We talk about hermeneutics, properly dividing the word of truth. They taught the rules without teaching to love the one who wrote the rules. They converted people to a dead, useless religion. Beware, take heed that we don't make the same mistake. I want to talk, before moving on, we talk about how they made the Word of God of none effect to their tradition. I want to talk about misconceptions. Because again, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means to be a modern-day Pharisee. When you emphasize the importance of obeying God, submitting to God, often you're called an intolerant, bigoted, self-righteous, judgmental, legalistic Pharisee. Now, people will agree with you They'll, they'll shout a hearty amen as long as you agree with them until you step on their toes, and then now all of a sudden you're a Pharisee. Mark 7, verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things, such like things you do. You know, the irony is that usually the people who call others legalistic Pharisees are the very ones who are elevating the doctrines and commandments and traditions and creeds of men above the written Word of God. <laughs> Who's the Pharisee? And when they cry legalism because you're stressing obeying God for the right reason, the right motive, you know what that is? Illegalism. The Pharisees were never condemned for obeying God. <laughs> They're condemned for not obeying God or getting around obeying God or not obeying God for the right reason, with the right motive. They sought to build a hedge around the law of God because apparently God wasn't clear enough. Apparently God wasn't a good communicator. Who's doing that? Who needs creeds to clarify what the New Testament teaches? Who's seeking a sign, even though Jesus already gave a sign? Who's seeking a vision or the voice of God separate and apart from His Word? The doctrines of Calvinism. Spirit converting us separate and apart from the Word. Who's the Pharisee? And Jesus said in verse 24, You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Often whenever you stress doctrine or worship or the details, the specifics, people will say, Oh, you're straining out a gnat. You're straining out a gnat. Is that Jesus' point? Straining out a gnat from your soup is not wrong. It's not a bad idea, but it's the height of S-T-U-P-I-D to strain out a gnat and then swallow a camel. The Pharisees had strained out the little and swallowed the big. The air was not in straining out the gnat. The air was in swallowing what shouldn't have been swallowed to begin with. Majoring in the minors, as they say. Many people 
have this misunderstanding, this misconception that being a modern-day Pharisee is the one who believes in a strict adherence to the New Testament. But somehow that's a bad thing. More accurately, at least in this sense, the modern-day Pharisee is the one who wrestles and twists the Scriptures to make it say what they want to say. Wrestle and twist the Scriptures to make loopholes for ourselves and nooses for other people. That's the modern-day Pharisee. And the other extreme, it's leaven, is the leaven of those who would lay aside all law and all rules. And Jesus dealt with two schools of thought. He dealt with the Shammai, what people would say rigidly legalistic and conservative and Hillel, the liberal, those who sought to get around the commandments. Who'd he side with? Who'd he pick? Neither. You know, it's true, our hypocrisy, our ignorance, our example can have a... We can be a modern-day Pharisee. We can have a corrupting influence. But if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, and you're teaching others to do the right things for the right reasons, and people have a problem with that, it's not you. It's that they stumble at the word being disobedient. That's the offense. They stumble at the word being disobedient. The Pharisees knew the Word of God. They didn't live it. The Pharisees made the Word of God void by elevating their traditions, neglecting weightier matters. And finally, the Pharisees knew the Word of God, but they did not know the God of the Word. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He said, Don't sound the trumpet. Don't pray on the street corners for other people to hear you. Don't give and fast that you may be seen of others. Again, you might be a Pharisee if you're more interested in being seen as righteous than actually being righteous. When we have this inordinate love of human praise and human approval, you can do the same action for a thousand different reasons. And so I ask, why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Because we love Jesus and His people? Because we care about people in here and out there? Or because we want to be seen of men? Because we're afraid what people might think if we're not here? Do we give to put our name on something, or do we give to put His name on something? You might be a Pharisee if you think showing up every time the doors are open, and we should do that. (laughs) These you ought to have done. But if we think that automatically makes us right with God. If you have to project and tell others how righteous and committed you are and how much you love God and others and the lost because it's not actually evident in your actions. Did you know I'm fasting? Did you know I'm giving? You know what a lighthouse does? It just shines. And they would go out of their way to let others know they were giving, they were fasting, they were praying. It's like people who who talk about how proud they are of their humility. People get an award and you hear all the time, I'm just so humbled. I'm just so humble to be the greatest human on the face of the earth. No, you're not. And we often do the right thing when everyone's watching and the wrong thing when we think no one's watching. Because public performance is so much easier than private devotion. Think about the story Jesus gave about the, the Pharisee and the publican praying and the publican wouldn't even lift up his eyes and his humility he said, Father, forgive me for I'm a sinner. And the beautiful prayer that the Pharisee offered to God was, God, I'm thankful I'm not like those people and those people and those people and this terrible publican and I fast 
twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. So blinded by self-righteous, we can't see that we're blind leaders of the blind. That's the nature of pride and self-righteousness. We can see it in others, we can't see it in ourselves. And so to guard against the leaven of the Pharisee, we need to surround ourselves, we need to solicit the help of people who see us for what we are and will call us on it. You ever been around people who don't realize how arrogant and obnoxious they are? I mean, they just don't have a clue. That nobody can stand them. Never been you? It's like, you know, that being that, what's that, and you realize it's you? Are we teachable? Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to change? Are we willing to say, I have problems, I'm not perfect? Or are we perfect and have it all figured out? Think, you know, God needs me. The church needs me. I'll tell you, God will use you for His glory and to help others. God doesn't need you to win. God doesn't need you to... God will win with or without my cooperation. And if I ever forget that, I will become a Pharisee. And we see here, pride will cause us to misjudge God. Pride causes us to misjudge ourselves. Pride causes us to misjudge other people. The Pharisees were extremely critical of others. Luke 6, verse 7, The scribes and the Pharisees watched him, that's what Pharisees do, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. You know where this comes from? Being very, very critical of other people? As I don't see myself as a debtor who needs to be thankful for being forgiven, who needs to be merciful and forgiving because I have received mercy and have been forgiven. And Jesus made it clear, you will not be justified if you have this attitude. You know what the root of this Pharisaism is? You know where the root of self-righteousness is? Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, a failure to be amazed by the grace of God. That's, that's the heart of all of this. When I quit being amazed by the amazing grace, when I quit being amazed that God would forgive me of my 200,000-year debt, and I see myself as a 200,000-year debtor, sinner, and I'm more amazed that other people would wrong me and have a debt against me, however small that is, and I'm amazed that God would forgive me of my 200,000-year debt. That's where this comes from. Reminded of the time when Jesus was invited into Simon the Pharisee's house, and a woman who came in who apparently was a sinner was washing his feet, and Simon thought within himself, if, if he knew what manner of woman this was, he'd have nothing to do with her. He wouldn't touch her. And Jesus teaches a lesson. He says, Simon, two men are forgiven their debts. One was forgiven a greater debt. Who loves most? And Simon said, the one who was forgiven most. If I don't see myself as the one forgiven most, the chief of sinners, as Paul describes himself, if I don't see myself as the one who had the 200,000-year debt that was forgiven, if I don't see myself as the one who was forgiven most, I'm going to love God and others little. I'm going to love God and others less. Luke 15, 1 and 2, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They couldn't believe Jesus would have anything to do with people who had problems. And you know what the irony was? If Jesus had ate with the Pharisees, He would have been eating with sinners too. Pharisees love silos. They love bubbles. They love isolation. They'd have nothing to do with others socially to point out doing business with them. I'm not saying we need to balance the warnings about our associations, our young people, all of us, our motive, our agenda 
to be in certain environments, participating in certain activities. We've got to balance that. But when they complained about the company Jesus was keeping, you know what Jesus did? He gave three beautiful parables in Luke 15. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, which was about the elder brother who was the Pharisee. Well, we don't. Well, we aren't. We take of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. What about our attitudes towards those heathens, those Philistines on the outside? I want to tell you, we shouldn't be reveling, getting any kind of pleasure from other people's potential condemnation. That ought to break our heart. It should move us to share the Scripture with others, which is what the Pharisees did. But what's our motive? Are we trying to win an argument? Are we trying to win souls? Is it about you or is it about them? I want to tell you, if it's about you, you've lost before you've opened your mouth, before you open the book. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about if I'm a spiritual giant, superhuman, spiritual superman, and I can do all these, I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I'm not motivated to to do that from a love of God and love for other people, I'm just making noise. I'm just making a lot of racket. I'm just creating a lot of problems. To the Pharisees, people were pawns to trap Jesus. They didn't care about souls because they had lost heart. They were heartless. They loaded others down with burdens and had no sympathy, no compassion. So you might be a Pharisee if you're willing to be merciful once. You might be a Pharisee if you're known as brother or sister better than you. You might be a Pharisee if everyone outside of your immediate circle and even most in your immediate circle are always wrong and you're always right. You might be a Pharisee, if God's still small voice sounds just like yours. And you might be a Pharisee if your official title is longer than your given name. Matthew 5, verse 20. One of the scariest verses in the Bible. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about the audience that would have heard this. I mean, this was the best of the best, supposedly. Those who knew and loved God more than anyone else. And Jesus said, if you, your righteousness... She's based on faith in Christ and a recognition of your spiritual poverty, humility. If your righteousness doesn't exceed that, you will never enter the kingdom. What he's emphasizing in this sermon on the mount is the heart. You're not as good as you think you are. You've got to emphasize commitment, not just compliance, because if you don't emphasize commitment before the you're going to get around the compliance. And we see that with the Pharisees, we see that with ourselves, we see that with our children and our young people. You emphasize commitment, you start with why. Now the compliance takes care. What kind of culture are we creating in our homes, in our congregations? Because a proper culture of commitment will ensure proper compliance. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And pretty soon you're going to quit doing all the right things. You've got to love the book. And you've got to love the author of the book. Whenever I learn to love the author of the book, suddenly living within the book becomes a lot more possible. Colossians 3. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? As is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Why? Fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work heartily. Why ask for the Lord and not for men? You've got to start with why. Kelsey and I have tried to get, be, be better about that and, and start with why, and it's exhausting to explain why. But if you don't start with why, the what and the how aren't going to get done. And if you don't start with why and you don't emphasize why and commitment before compliance, you're well on your way to, to raising modern-day Pharisees. I think about modesty, which encompasses external, internal, appearance, attitude. In school, I remember the, uh, the, the dress code, and there were certain prescriptive, you know, this length and this many inches, and this has to be covered. And You know, there's something better than that for Christians. Being self-regulated by purity and holiness and agape love for other people. To be intrinsically motivated to do the right thing. Now, all of a sudden, compliance is taking care of itself because we're committed to godly biblical modesty and biblical consideration for other people. We need to raise our children to hear it to know it, to believe it, to love it, to live it, then they can teach it. Then they can share it. Matthew 23, 33, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? <laughs> Talk about bringing some heat. Jesus' evaluation of the Pharisees was extremely harsh. He pronounced woes upon them. That's not good woes. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. We saw that theme, that pattern. And that, that woe means denunciation. Pronouncing someone blameworthy. Pronouncing someone evil. Severe calamity. Distress and affliction. It's expressing extreme grief. Matthew 6, 2, He said, I say to you, they have received their reward. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They knew the Word of God, they didn't live it. They made the Word of God of none effect by elevating their traditions over the inspired Word of God, by shutting themselves and other people out of the kingdom through their corrupting influence, neglecting weightier matters. And finally, they knew the Word of God. They didn't know the God of the Word. Woe to us! Blame, severe calamity, great grief if we do the same. And as we offer an invitation this morning, Luke 7, verse 30 says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. You know, often when we, again, stress submitting to God, submitting to God by obeying the gospel, believe, repent, be baptized, as we see the pattern throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts, somebody say, you believe in water salvation. You believe in works out. You're trying to earn salvation like the Pharisees. You're a legalistic Pharisee. There's nothing in baptism that I'm earning or deserving. It's saying, I'm a sinner, and I can't do this. It's the operation of God, Colossians 2. It's all about having so much faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that I'm going to unite with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection by being washed in His blood. That can pay my 200,000-year debt. Nothing else. You know who else said you don't have to be baptized to be saved? You don't have to be baptized for the remission of your sins? The Pharisees. Don't be a modern-day Pharisee. Don't reject the purpose of God for yourself, the plan of God for yourself, the plan of salvation for you by refusing to be baptized. Maybe you've done that. Maybe as a Christian, you need help being a disciple and not a Pharisee. You need help 
Not only knowing the Word of God, but actually living it. Not making the Word of God of none effect. Knowing the Word of God and knowing the God of the Word. If we can pray for you and we can help you in that. If you have a spiritual need this morning, don't be a Pharisee that's too proud to say, I need help. I'm not perfect. God, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. If you have a spiritual need this morning, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you. If you need to respond to that invitation, the Lord invites you to come as we stand and sing.